from the standpoint of safety, so nothing gets lost. Accessibility, so you can access anything from anywhere at any point of time. Privacy, so you know who has access and what kind of access he has. Authenticity, so you know that nothing has been modified without your knowledge. And security, so bad guys who don't break things or steal your data applications and systems. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, I'm Tim Cole, the editor-in-chief of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. With everything connected to everything else and more and more people working from home, cybersecurity is more important than ever. Acronis, based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland, is ranked by analysts as a leader in backup software, disaster recovery, and secure data access in both the consumer and enterprise market. Its founder, Sergei Belusov, is with us today to talk about the latest trends. Sergei, you get around, don't you? Born in St. Petersburg, back when it used to be called Leningrad, to a family of physicists, studied physics and electronic engineering yourself, computer science in Moscow, but you wound up in Singapore, where you became a citizen and a prominent technology entrepreneur. You personally hold more than 200 U.S. patents. Tell me, when do you find time to sleep? Well, I don't sleep very well, and uh, it is a major problem for me being productive. And so I'm forcing myself to sleep uh, better. The wonderful thing, you know, we live in the world where there is always good and bad and bad and good. And definitely COVID has been very bad for the society and for the economy, and especially bad for some people. But it has some positive sides. And I've learned that it's not necessary to travel as much and you can sleep better. And I've also learned that when you sleep better, you work less, but you actually work more productively, so you, you accomplish more. Tell me, what exactly is Acronis Cyber Protect? Acronis Cyber Protect is an all-in-one solution to protect data applications and systems, which we collectively call workload. From the standpoint of safety, so nothing gets lost. Accessibility, so you can access anything from anywhere at any point of time. Privacy, so you know who has access and what kind of access he has. Authenticity, so you know that nothing has been modified without your knowledge. And security, so bad guys who don't break things or steal your data applications and systems. And we accomplish it by, uh, again, providing a complete uh, set of uh, layers of protection, uh, prevention, detection, response, recovery, and forensic. Uh, we primarily offer the product as a service through managed service providers, which not only uh, offer our product, but also provide a complete management of your data application and system, hence workload. Of course, IoT poses totally new threat vectors. Is your product able to protect connected systems as in IoT? Well, IoT is a big word, and the world of IoT just means that you have a very large number of semi-smart devices which are sensors, and you have large number of smart devices, which are smart sensors, and then you have still large number of controllers, and then you have data flowing between them. And so today we definitely are 
very popular as a product to protect controllers of IoT, which are the most vulnerable part of all of this. And we're expanding towards smart sensors. And definitely IoT is a threat. It's important that it is a threat across all of the vectors of protection. If sensors are broken, you need to recover them quickly, very, very quickly. You get used to the fact that you have um, IoT devices always up and running, and you have to access to them at all times, and they are major threat to your privacy. They're also major threat to you being able to distinguish reality from fake reality and so authenticity. And of course, if they're broken into by bad guys, it could be very dangerous. Acronis was one of the first vendors to incorporate blockchain technology into software-defined storage solutions and not just offer it to the financial sector, where blockchain and Bitcoin in particular are already well known. You are still committed to integrating this technology into your portfolio across the board, despite some recent negative views of blockchain in general. Well, um, for us, it is mostly just about authenticity. One of the vectors of protection is authenticity, is making sure that um, the data application and system were not modified without knowledge of the user or the administrator. And what we do is just we um, uh, enable every piece of data application and system which we protect to be signed with digital or physical signature, and we store the footprint of the signature in blockchain ledger, distributed ledger, which makes it effectively mutable. So at any point of time, we can verifiably check that there isn't a change. The customer and the partner don't have to trust us. They just um, have to trust the fact that blockchain ledger is distributed and is uh, effectively mutable, not changeable without, you know, yeah, not changeable. Remote communication tools like Microsoft Teams, Zoom, and others are more popular than ever before due to the pandemic. But you say that none of them are secure or private. That is, unless software like yours is added. Yeah, that's um, anything which is designed for collaboration uh, will decrease your security, privacy, authenticity, accessibility, and safety. It is just a fact. At some point, very famous person in the security industry, I, I don't recall immediately his name, said that the only computer which is secure is the one which is uh, switched off. Yeah. And so the more you communicate by definition, the less secure you are, the more convenient the tools are for communicate, the less likely they ask you for password, for login, for the less um, uh, they hide the information about unnecessary information for conversation, the more they hide who is participant in the communication and so on and so forth, the less convenient they are. So there is a natural contradiction between good collaboration tools and good security. And we provide with Acronis CyberProtect the additional layer of security, which make it possible to use tools like Zoom and stay private and secure. In a recent interview, you accused banks around the world of neglecting their most central role in the era in which data is becoming the world's most valuable commodity, namely as the protectors of their clients' data. That sounds like pretty heavy stuff to accuse them of. I think there is uh, two issues with the global banking system. So one issue is that, uh, of course, the banking system has been designed to protect and make sense out of capital of people. But in the future, the data is a capital of people and the capital is a data. So in the future, all the currencies are digital. Perhaps all the currencies are primarily cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrency is just a tool to store the information about your wealth. 
And so there's nothing special about it. And so really there is an, both an opportunity and a challenge for the banks to protect data of the user because the data of the user is his asset. But there is a second challenge is that today, I bank, banks were actually in the past designed to protect privacy, but they no longer protect privacy. There are so many regulations around the fact that they have to disclose a lot of information about who they do business with to different authorities. And you have to disclose a lot of information about what you do to be uh, still a customer. Yet uh, the traditional banks, the banks which are still vast majority of all the financial system of the world, they do not make any sense of the data and they charge you for their service of storing money. And so as such, they are also not very efficient. So again, they don't protect the data and at the same time, they don't use the data. And that's sort of uh, makes them double ineffective. I do see many modern financial institutions actually combining protection of the data with protection of the assets, uh, with protection of the digital assets. And so that is the future. The banks will move into this area. I think um, my interview, however, I was uh, more thinking about uh, the protection of your communication with the bank. So it is difficult to draw a border uh, who is uh, actually responsible uh, for your communication with the bank. Imagine you use a mobile application or desktop application. Well. Perhaps the bank can protect the backend, and perhaps the bank can protect the, uh, the front end, which runs on your computer. The computer is not protected. These protections are not worth it. This protection would not work if there is a bad guy who hijacked your computer at the time when you're using the banking application. The bad guy can potentially have access to your assets. And so, in my opinion, there is a possibility for a both extra business and extra value of the banks is to make sure that the customer device is protected uh, during the time when they communicate with the bank. And what is your solution? Well, our solution is a chronic cyber protect. And uh, it's just uh, that uh, every time uh, the bank um, is using the banking application, they should at least uh, check if the uh, device has a proper security, safety, accessibility, privacy, authenticity management tools installed, and if they're running, and if the protection level is good. And if it is not good, it should basically warn the user and perhaps not allow to use the banking application, or perhaps recommend to install some uh, software which will make the device verified and tested. Let's talk a little bit about your company, which I find fascinating. You recently, in 2014, uh, moved your headquarters from Boston to Singapore, but your that was the operational headquarters, but the official headquarters is in Schaffhausen in Switzerland. Uh, what drew you to Switzerland? Was it the cheese? Well, I, I cannot stop myself from correcting you. We always had the headquarter in Schaffhausen. We had a North American headquarter in Boston, but we never had international headquarter here. What we did, however, in 2014, we established international headquarter in Singapore as a second headquarter. I think it is critical for our business to have dual headquarter, to be sort of dual protected and always trusted by our customers and partners all over the world. Singapore and Switzerland are unique places which are very politically stable, very economically stable, very politically independent and economically independent, very friendly, very confident. They are very different countries. I'm Singaporean citizen for 20 years, and, but I do like Switzerland a lot. I think Switzerland is a uniquely well suited for companies like Acronis, which are global companies, which are providing cyber protection to partners and customers. You know, also Switzerland has a very nice IP regime, corporate regime. It's surrounded by countries with a lot of great potential hires for executive team, for engineering team, 
for employee team. And so uh, it, it is definitely a good place. There have been rumors in the past of an IPO. Are plans to take Acronis public still on your agenda? We are investor. We have uh, private equity investors as a part of Acronis shareholder uh, group. And every company which has private equity and venture capital is focused on accomplishing increased shareholder returns, which can come in the form of dividends or in the form of proceeds from uh, M&A or in the form of going public. And of course, uh, for any technology company of our size, and you know, we're several hundred million dollars of revenue, it's very attractive to be able to go public. And that is definitely an opportunity. But again, most important thing we do in Acronis is we protect our customers together with our service provider partners with our product CyberProtect, and then we grow shareholder value. A last question. In 2018, you established the Acronis Foundation a nonprofit organization that supports knowledge and education initiatives around the world. Why did you do that? I think it comes back to the fundamental beliefs we have in the company. And um, really, it's um, sort of three groups of beliefs. One is a belief about the fact that knowledge is a solution against all evil. And so every problem in the world can be solved with sufficient knowledge. And so creating, spreading, and protecting knowledge is something which is very important. The second belief is that it is actually possible to do good versus doing bad. And, and there is a difference between good and bad. And that those two things are non-obvious. We believe in them. And uh, that's why we, we do what we do. And in that case, we believe that it is totally possible to do well, to do good, and to have fun. And so to do well in terms of growing your shareholder returns to do good in terms of helping other people and society and to have fun, you know, while doing it. And um, the Acronis Foundation is definitely that. It allows us to do good, to build schools, to spread and create knowledge. You know, we do uh, different things in different countries. We build schools globally. We also train inmates in Singapore prison in IT so that they can find another jobs. We train migrants in IT here in Schaffhausen so they, they can find another jobs. We're thinking about providing training for older people uh, above 70 in programming and web development so they can work from home, which is much better than working in some, you know, uh, guard jobs or whatever jobs uh, old retired people typically get in many countries. And but all of this is around knowledge. So it's doing good. It's, it's also doing well because it is interesting, but vast majority of um, people like to do good. And so we're doing this together with our partners and together with our customers. And we believe it increases engagement with them. And so it's not just a good thing, but it's also a good business. And at the same time, um, it is um, something which, which is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to open school, to see happy children. It's a lot of fun to actually help people to find jobs. And so that's why we do it. Do good, have fun, make the world safer. Sounds interesting. This was Sergei Belosov, the CEO and founder of Acronis. Thank you very much, Sergei, for sharing your insights with us. You're welcome. We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub. Highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub 
provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. Every year at Munich Oktoberfest, big wagons piled high with wooden beer barrels are pulled through the streets by teams of huge draft horses. But the logistics of beer has come a long way since those days. Today, beer destined for pubs and restaurants is usually shipped in stainless steel and hence reusable kegs. But this requires a complex system of logistics for both delivery and return. Convoy an Australian startup is in the process of further transforming keg management and making it both more efficient and profitable, thanks to IoT. Joining us today from his base in New South Wales is CEO Adam Tripp-Smith. Adam, you have been described as a serial beerpreneur. Sounds like you don't just enjoy beer, it's your lifeblood. That's true, Tim. Uh, look, I've been in this area now since 2008 and uh, first of all with a brewery second of all with a keg rental business which launched that industry here in Australia and now uh, again with a new business convoy which is exactly that again renting stainless steel beer kegs but with a new approach which is IOT tracking devices on the kegs um, not only for our own keg fleet but we'll be offering that to other keg owners around the world so we've moved from just the simple asset, stainless steel, going in and out of breweries, in and out of pubs, et cetera, to now being able to track them. And with our first device, our first generation tracking beacon uh, running on the Sigfox network here in Australia and New Zealand. So essentially you have reinvented the keg business. That's the way we like to think about it. I mean, in, up until really, up until today, Kegs have always been around. They've been around for many, many years, but they've really been essentially a dumb asset in that there was no information around them. They were not tracked. They were not uniquely identified. And in the last 10 years, uh, all of that has changed and identification of, internet, of individual kegs has occurred. And a lot of that was then tracked using either a barcode or an RFID tag. And there's been a bit of a push over the last three years, and we've been a big part of that, to move beyond that into the IoT world and add a whole new realm of information to a stainless steel beer keg. And so that's not only for us as the owner of the keg that rents kegs to breweries, but for the users of the kegs, the producers, pubs, the warehouse, the wholesalers, etc. cetera. Uh, and to take a keg from an asset that moves around with a huge, huge amount of beer in them, but without a lot of information, and so now by uniquely identifying those kegs and then tracking them in, in real time, for lack of a better word, as to where their location is, the temperature, et cetera, then we're turning it into a, essentially a, a smart asset with data and analytics behind it, uh, which is pretty exciting uh, for, for an industry and an asset that's been around for a long time. I understand that one of your main concerns 
was human error in conventional keg tracking systems. Have you cut out the middleman, the humans? <laughs> Look, I don't think we've cut the humans out, uh, but we've certainly uh, refocused what the humans do. And, and look, your, your example of, of my concern in the past is accurate. Uh, you know, my previous business, uh, we started our keg fleet with 2D matrix codes and RFID tags, and we tracked the movement of the kegs essentially through a smartphone scan with a smartphone camera scanning the ID, the barcode, the ID on the keg every time it moved. So when a keg would move from our warehouse to a brewery, it would be scanned. From a brewery to a warehouse, it would be scanned. From a warehouse to a pub or a bar or a restaurant, it would be scanned. Now, that action itself obviously takes time and revolves, uh, relies, I should say, on humans doing things, and in, in that case, particularly scanning. And so we found over a period of, of six years of doing this that only about 70 to 75% of the keg movements actually were scanned. And that was great. That brought a whole heap of data with that. The problem was the 25 to 30% of scans that were missed through human error or human laziness. And, and essentially those assets therefore moved blind and you lose visibility of them. And it's always been a bugbear of mine and something that we've wanted to move beyond. And so the opportunity to, to start a new business in this space with a, with a clean whiteboard and no rules and, and no an existing business model in place, we had the opportunity to start again and be the guinea pig, I guess, for ourselves and, and look to create a new tracking device, a new beacon for this IoT world that would then track our kegs and therefore our customers' products, specifically generally beer, as to where it is, as well as providing temperature tracking as well. So we could know if the liquid was too hot or too cold, depending on the climate that it was in. So it's a pretty exciting time uh, to be in beer, as you'd appreciate, having data around kegs moving, which didn't exist in the past. Mm -hmm. You rely on the SIGFOX uh, wireless low-power network. What happens if the keg, for instance, is stored in a cellar somewhere, in a, in a cold room, where the radio waves can't penetrate? Does that sort of cancel your technology? Uh, good question, Tim. Uh, it does not. Uh, but that was one of one of our issues in embarking on this project was it was exactly that and would we lose visibility etc. Now the reality is we're tracking location of our of our assets via Wi-Fi sniffing, and so we're generally getting a reading as a keg exits a truck onto a footpath outside a venue and then inside the venue where there's still a Wi-Fi signal. Now you're right. It, that, at that point in time, it may be still taking a temperature alert. It may still be getting the Wi-Fi reading, but it may not have access to the Sigfox uh, tower itself. Um, and that's fine as soon as it exits the pub, certainly in terms of the way the industry works here in Australia. As soon as it uh, exits into the external environment, generally the open air and on the footpath waiting to be collected by a truck, then we gain access to the Sigfox again. So as long as we've had a Wi-Fi signal and sent a quick ping via Sigfox back to us as the keg has been offloaded off the truck and then loaded into the pub, the venue or the restaurant, then we're getting a signal. At that point, we know it's at that pub. 
We know it'll be there for a period of time. If we lose visibility, we know as soon as it reappears that we'll, we'll get a signal and we'll know where that asset is again. The reality is we know that, that the keg hasn't moved. Um, and if there was an issue where it was, you know, to be misplaced or stolen, clearly it's going to move out of the cool room or out of the cellar back into the open air and, uh, and we would gain visibility again. So we're, we're pretty happy with how it's working. Um, as I understand it, tracking technology, even in your area of business, is not really new, but previous systems relied on cellular, which is more expensive. Has that changed significantly? Uh, it, look, it has. And, uh, you know, I started working on this as an idea three years ago. When I launched this new business, Convoy, last year, we looked at, at everything, Sigbox, cellular, 4G, 5G, whatever you want to call the alternatives. Uh, and the main problem with all the alternatives for us when we were looking into this last year was the data costs. And, you know, to put that in perspective, you know, here in Australia when we were looking at it, bearing in mind prices have come down, but you were looking at about Australian dollars, $25 per year in data costs to track one keg, which is uneconomic. And you compare that to the cost of you know, using uh, the Sigfox network to transfer the data, so specifically the data being a temperature reading and a location reading, via Sigfox, you're talking about single-digit, low single-digit dollars per year in data costs versus something at the time that was in the $20. So a huge difference, which really opened up a great opportunity here for ultimately what is a low-value asset. You know, a keg, you think of a keg that a brewery buys as being a roughly US $100 asset then there's a ceiling on what you can afford to invest in a tracking device and there's a ceiling in what you can afford to invest in data costs and, and running the network, et cetera, to track that asset. And, uh, and we just found that the alternatives in terms of telco, 4G, 5G kind of networks were just vastly more expensive. And, yes, they came with a greater capacity for data, but we didn't need to be transmitting photos. All we were li literally doing was taking a location and a temperature reading and looking to feed that back to our software system via Sigfox. And in terms of what we've been trying to do, Sigfox has been absolutely perfect for it. You call your system Kegfox, a reference to Sigfox. And um, would you describe your relationship as extremely close? Uh, I would. Uh, and look, we've, you know, we've only been working on this for about 18 months. And obviously every month that goes past our relationship deepens with Sigfox. So our device specifically is what we refer to as KegFox, and that was our project name and then what we decided to call the device. And obviously there's specifically there because it does run on the SigFox network. If we were to do another device for a different asset class that wasn't uh, running on the SigFox network, then we wouldn't call it KegFox device. But given that this one is specifically for kegs and specifically running on SigFox, we thought it was an appropriate name. And look, we've, we started with the you know, talking to the local uh, Sigfox licensee down here in Australia, a business called Thinkstra, uh, that is the Sigfox network partner for Australia, New Zealand and Hong Kong. Um, and we've since developed that, that relationship a lot further beyond Thinkstra, which is who we purchased bandwidth from, to Unibis, again, another Sigfox partner, uh, but they're specifically for the Taiwan and Singapore markets. But we've been closely working with Unibiz on the hardware side of what we've been doing, and Unibiz has been our hardware partner. And, and as a result of all of that, we've been spending a lot more time with Sigfox itself, 
given that we're first to market with a device like this and given that we are keg owners and keg people. So we do get what we're doing. Uh, we've been long-term doing this, you know, both as brewery owners and as keg rental company owners. And so we can confidently, you know, talk with other breweries around the world and understand their issues and, and also how kegs move and the and the issues that you encounter with kegs. And, and this is why we've decided to offer our technology, not only the hardware, but the software side of things uh, beyond just our own keg fleet. Uh, so in the new year, we'll be launching Catch, and that's Catch with a K, to other keg owners around the world. Uh, and we're working closely with Sigfox Corp on that. I understand that one of the problems with keg management is that you have to ship air <laughs> across the continent. Say if you send a keg to from where you are to, say, Perth, when it's empty, they have to send it back, which is actually a waste of money. Through your tracking technology, are you, how, are you, how is that business model changing? Are you sort of making more use of kegs? So exactly. And so I'm talking to you from Sydney on the east coast of Australia. And, and you're right, uh, we're a very vast country and uh, with a small population. So as a result, most breweries, most producers are producing beer and sending it around the nation. And if you're in Sydney sending a keg to Perth on the west coast of Australia and it's your keg and you need to get it back, then there's a huge amount of time and cost involved in finding that keg in the pub in Perth, getting it out of that pub, getting it onto, into a warehouse in Perth on a truck or a train all the way back across Australia. So there's cost, there's time, and not only that, you're, it's damaging the environment because, you, as you say, you're shipping air all the way back from Perth to Sydney if that's... So twofold to answer your question. One, our convoy business, which rents kegs, eliminates that because in our model, the keg that we started with, in, with a brewery in Sydney ends up in Perth, and then we pick up that empty keg from the pub or the bar or the restaurant in Perth, and then we will then rent that keg to a Perth brewery. And so it's never travelling back across the country empty. If it does so, it'll have beer in it, and it's only moving once. And when we're picking it up and moving it empty, we're moving it the shortest distance possible to the next brewery that has a need to rent a keg in that market. Take that a step further when you've got tracking on the kegs and you're getting the kegs back out of venues quickly or reusing them quickly, which means you can turn them and use them more times per year, which means you also need to purchase less kegs and have a smaller fleet relevant to the volume that you're doing. And that's where the real opportunity uh, kicks in for tracking for other keg owners that want to get better use out of their assets. And so they can get by with less assets, get data around about how it's moving through the supply chain, but get them back from the end user in a more timely fashion and use them again quickly. And so we're tackling both of those problems through two different businesses, one being a keg rental model, being Convoy, and then the second one, which we're in the process of launching, being Catch, which is purely focused on the tracking side of that. And we're happy to let others use the system we've developed for their own keg fleets around the world. Well, given your reputation as a serial beerpreneur, I can't imagine that this is the end. You probably have ideas that you want to introduce. And what are your growth plans? Right now, we have two, Tim, uh, and, they're, and they're different for the two businesses. So with, with Convoy, with our rental business, uh, we just want that to be the best tracked keg fleet in the world. So we're using ourselves as the guinea pig and 
putting ourselves on the pedestal to do that as best we can. And our, and our growth plan for that business is really, at this point in time, focused on Australia and New Zealand. And once we figure that we've perfected that market, we may then look to other geographies. And we've done, as a team, that we've done that before in our previous business where we've launched in, in multiple geographies around the world, down here in Oceania, Europe, the US, et cetera. And that's really where our exciting growth plans are, is, which is for catch. And so catch is a business that we are in the process of soft launching early in the, in the new year, based on the announcement at Sigfox Connect. And from there, really, that's a global opportunity for us. And we'll be treating it as a, as a global business from day one. So that's certainly not focused on the Australian New Zealand market. It's focused on uh, keg fleet owners around the world. And, and that's pretty exciting for us to be able to, to scale and take our technology. And I'm sure that will change over time. We're just rapidly employing and growing our team beyond just the convoy team into a, a dedicated team servicing catch and catches customers. And it's pretty exciting to be able to sort of take that from a base here in Sydney and, and add people to our team around the world and and look to work closely with uh, other keg fleet owners around the world. And whether they're a new craft brewery in Europe, you know, with 500 kegs that they want to track better, or a major global beer company that has hundreds of thousands or millions of kegs that they also want to track, then, uh, you know, for us, that's our focus. And we're pretty excited about bringing that to the world next year. Yes, that was Adam Tripp Smith, the CEO of Convoy, an Australian startup that is transforming keg management with the help of IoT. Adam, thanks for sharing your insights with us. It's a pleasure, Tim. Thank you. And now, one more thing. If you're like most smartphone owners, you're probably still waiting for 5G to work. But the telco industry is already gearing up for the next step. 6G. The starting shot for this new generation of mobile communications has already been heard. With 6G, we have the ambitious goal of achieving data rates of terabits per second and a latency of around 100 microseconds, that is, 50 times the data rate and one-tenth the latency of 5G, says Ivan Nedip, an expert on antennas and radio frequency systems at the Fraunhofer Institute for Reliability and Microintegration, IZM, in Berlin. He uses autonomous driving to explain the difference. The goal here, he says, is to reduce the number of accidents. 5G has a maximum data rate of about 20 gigabits per second, nowhere near enough to communicate your car's position to other road users in real time, much less measure distances, and scan through 360 degrees all at the same time. The self-driving car needs to be able to look far into the distance, but also focus on close-up things. For this, autonomous vehicles require sensors that combine both radar and cameras. They need to be able to collect enormous amounts of data and share them simultaneously. Fraunhofer IZM NDIP says, is currently developing such sensors. In addition, the car must react instantly to unforeseen circumstances, so in addition to very high data rates, the sensors require extremely low latency. Unfortunately, NDIP says, 5G just doesn't cut it. 
Besides, 5G is still missing a couple of critical components, as well as the network intelligence necessary to handle true, hands-off, autonomous driving. That's why we need 6G, the scientist maintains. Although 6G will not be operational until at least 2030, NDIP believes that governments and telcos need to start investing in the new technology now. Hardware still has to be developed for mobile communications above 100 gigahertz. But for most manufacturers, this is terra incognita, since they have never worked with frequencies like these before. Typically, NDIP says, researchers and developers need a 10-year head start for this kind of mammoth project. Setting the necessary specification and standards alone will take at least five years, he believes. Fraunhofer recently opened its 6G innovation campus in Cottbus, the so-called iCampus, where it plans to do research into new networking and sensor technologies together with the local university and two separate Leibniz institutes. The future, it seems, just can't happen fast enough. That was We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine, by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There, you can sign up to receive our newsletter, Smart Industry Updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you back next month when, once again, we talk IoT.